It's an unfortunate fact that the elderly are taken advantage of every day. While the laws are complicated and constantly changing, the wisest and safest way to keep track of them all is to call elder law attorney Michael Cohen. Having devoted his career to informing and protecting the elderly, Michael communicates about the law in ways that you and your loved ones will surely understand. Join us now to know your legal rights with Michael Cohen and co-host Don Crawford Jr. Here's Michael and Don. Once again, this is Know Your Legal Rights. My name is Don Crawford, Jr., owner of KAAM Radio, and I'm sitting with Dallas elder law attorney Michael Cohen. Michael, today we discussed before the program that there are actually as many as 16 ways to avoid guardianship of someone's estate, and you want to discuss those options today. There's actually probably even more than 16 ways, but I thought that these would be the different things that would be kind of common, more common that people should be aware of. And guardianship of the estate is dealing with somebody's assets that for somebody who is incapacitated during lifetime, 40% of Americans are even disabled before age six, 40% of the people who are become disabled are even those who are under 65. And about a third of Americans, or maybe 30% of Americans become disabled at some point in their lifetime. So if you don't have different if you don't have done some different things, then you have to get the courts involved, and then you have different attorneys involved. So it's kind of like a mother may I with, with the courts, and that's usually something that you really want to avoid. You want to avoid, quite frankly, the courts, and you want to avoid the judicial system if you can, as well as the, um, uh, quite frankly, having so many attorneys involved because there's not only an attorney for you, uh, who would be the, what's called the ward, uh, or there'd be another attorney, um, you know, to who seeks guardianship. So, you, and then every time you uh, you have to get permission to sell property, and you have to have an annual account, things that are very expensive, a very expensive process. So you really, some people could do some different simple things to prevent that, uh, because as we as uh, we get older, uh, the baby boomers, etc., uh, uh, there's more likelihood of disability, and we would want to uh, make it easier for those who we love to take care of you if you should become disabled. Okay. So I thought that would be even, that I thought that that would be something that's important that most people don't. People always think about death; they don't think about disability. But we should focus on that today. Okay. So the first thing that I would say to anybody, which is really simple is to get a power of attorney. Assuming you trust somebody, when my daughter turned 18, and I have a younger daughter when she turns 18, that was one of the first things I did. I had them do all the basic documents, including a financial power of attorney. Now, there's not just one power of attorney out there, and you have to be careful because uh, if you just use it, there are statutory forms. If you use that, that doesn't mean that it's necessarily um, going to be utilized or uh, at all times, it could be utilized, for example, uh, if you want to go to a bank to set up a trust account, uh, unless there's special language in the power of attorney, the bank may not allow you to open up the account. And some institutions uh, have their own, quote-unquote, forms. Uh, 
there are co- companies out there that feel comfortable with their own thing. So what happens if you had a power of attorney and then you lost mental capacity and you didn't sign one of Charles Schwab's or Fidelity's forms? Will they recognize your power of attorney? Does that mean you'll have to go to court to seek guardianship, which was very expensive? So you have to be careful. I had a, um, an attorney who represented a bank that called me this week that said, hey, um, uh, somebody used a standard form and they wanted to create a, they went to the bank to create what's called a qualified income trust, or a Medi- which is a Miller trust for those who are familiar with or old like me that can remember that term. And he said, can they do that with a statutory form? And I said, the answer is legally no. Unless there's, so the, if you think of you have a universal power of attorney, it's not really universal because under state law, you have to have certain things in the trust. So there are certain what's called hot powers. Uh, and you have to have those different things in there if you want them. And most people don't. Most people don't even have, a lot of people probably don't even have a power of attorney, but with a power of attorney, you give somebody else. Doesn't mean that that um, you have necessarily lost power. You still could be your you're still in charge, but you've given somebody else the power. And when can that power become effective? You can determine whether it's immediate or springing upon disability. And so, usually, the older you are, the more likely you should have it immediate because there's a likelihood of when can you determine when is it that's hard to determine when somebody lacks mental capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but there are situations where people have it springing. Texas has it where you could do it either way. Okay. So a financial power of attorney is the simplest, cheap, very cheap option to handle. Let's say you have a retirement account. How you can have your, uh, just because you're married doesn't mean that your spouse could get to your retirement account or to sell your assets, you know, that are, let's say it was a, uh, a joint ownership in a home. So you, everybody should probably have a financial power of attorney, and it's called durable. Means it's it's good during dis, durable during disability, and the power of attorney terminates on death. That's okay. one option. <laughs> Alrighty, fifteen more. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if we'll be able to get through all of them, but I'll, we'll do the best we can. Some people that have like a let's say a business or something like that, they may just have a convenience account. A convenience account. A convenience account says I choose somebody else to be able to write checks for me. So if the only thing I had was a checking account and I didn't want them to, um, uh, you know, if I had a joint account, then that would be a potential way to avoid guardianship. But then you may have uh, an issue with the person having the ability to, uh, if they got sued or if they were uh, had a joint account married, let's say you name your child as a, a um a uh, joint owner, and that child had given a power of attorney to their spouse. Well, then that spouse might have a, a, a the ability to get to your account. Or if that child had got credit issues, there's all sorts of different things that could be a problem if it's a joint account that should be looked at with a convenience account, uh, convenience signature, and you wouldn't have those particular issues. But that would just only deal with that particular account. Uh, it would not give you the authority to sign any legal documents or to get to that IRA or whatever. Um, and so um, a convenience account is useful in some situations, uh, and that's by just the signature card at the bank. In other words, you just, it's not an attorney gets involved. You just go to the bank and say, I want a convenience account. Convenience is write checks for whoever it is, probably a family member. Uh, it should also be mentioned... Now, the third one would be 
let's say that you are on um, getting Social Security um, and you lose mental capacity, there's a thing called a representative payee. A representative payee. Uh, so a representative payee could, um, you don't have to go to court for guardianship. Uh, you just have to prove disability. Uh, you have to have a meeting. You know, the, of course, the government presumes that you're disa- that you're okay unless you show differently. So um, a Social Security representative payee uh, is a way to uh, avoid, if that's the only thing you're getting, is, let's say your, your you know, payments on Social Security, a representative payee, uh, you do not need to uh, have a guardian for that. Uh, so that's uh, often useful. And actually nowadays, as of a couple years ago, once you start getting Social Security, you could even make a choice. You could get up to three people that you say, if I ever need, if I ever do become disabled, uh, you could choose one of these three people. You know, you could give up. So there's a form that you can fill out to say who you want to make those choices. And um, uh, But that doesn't mean they'll have to see if that person is the right person, and they'll have to prove, still prove disability. Usually you'll have to have medical records. Of course, before COVID, people would have meetings face-to-face with the Social Security Administration, uh, obviously, that's been a little bit changed because of the COVID situation. Where sure. people are still more cautious for safety reasons. And by the way, uh, VA Veterans Administration has a similar fiduciary representative type form. So, a uh, uh, so that's actually already we've already gone over uh, four different things right there. How do you like that? Excellent. So, um, yeah. So the next thing would be a trust. If you have your assets, there's all sorts of different types of trust that you could use. The most common type of trust, avoid guardianship, uh, is a if you're in, if, if it's during your lifetime, is to have a revocable trust, a revocable trust. So this is usually used to avoid guardianship and to avoid probate. So let's say you're married. Typically, you have uh, there's usually co-trustees, the husband, the wife. You're still in control, but if one of you all becomes disabled, well, the other spouse, the spouse, could be um, the trustee and take care of things, or you can name a child or whoever it is that you want, but it avoid, at least as far as the assets and the trust, you avoid guardianship of the estate. Now, I should say guardianship of the estate because there's two different types of guardianship. Uh, there's guardianship of the person who takes care of somebody in Texas, and then there's guardianship of the estate. Guardianship of the person would be a whole set of other documents that we we won't have time probably to discuss today, but uh, who takes care of the assets is really what we're talking about here. Uh, of course, we've already mentioned the power of attorney, the convenience account, Social Security representative payee, and the VA fiduciary representative, uh, and now we're mentioning a revocable living trust. A revocable living trust, you put your assets in that trust, in that open box where you're in control of, and then... You can take out whenever you want, and if you become disabled, you've named a pecking order of trustees, so now you don't have to go to court for guardianship of the estate because you've named who's in charge of your assets, and the assets are already in that trust. Okay? Okay. Uh, here's an, but people sometimes, that a guard, a revocable trust may not be good for other things, like let's say you wanted to either get public benefits like Medicaid or veterans' benefits. Well, those things are means-tested. So we do certain types of trusts that are irrevocable if you are uh, planning for public benefits, like Medicaid, let's say you need long-term care. So 
we might design a trust for Medicaid where you have elements of control and you name who's the trustee. Um, you could be the trustee, but again, if you're disabled, it tells who's in charge. Uh, and But you might do it for reasons because public benefits are means-tested. They look at your assets. So you put some assets that you want to protect in a, I'll call it a closed box, an irrevocable trust that you have some elements of control over. The type of trust that you would design is different if it's Medicaid versus veterans' benefits because on veterans' benefits, they have a different set of rules. And so sometimes people, if they're a wartime veteran, uh, need to protect their assets in a different way, especially if they have a home and they plan on selling their home. So you have different elements of control, so it's where you have less elements of control on the assets that are other than the homestead. Uh, I don't want to get too particular because it gets kind of complicated if I haven't gotten that way already because there's different tax issues that you'd have to consider. Sure. And by the way, on any of those trusts, if your beneficiaries are disabled, well, then you could have a contingent uh, disability trust. Now, the disability trust for a spouse would not work in a revocable trust or an irrevocable trust for either Medicaid or VA benefits uh, because they cannot, it's just under what their rules are. However, you could do that in the form of a will, which gets to number, whatever number that is. Uh, you could have a, a testamentary trust, a trust where, uh, let's say that you say, oh, my spouse might be disabled or one of my beneficiaries might be disabled at the time of my passing. So instead of it going to them directly, it says if my spouse or child or whomever is a whoever my beneficiary is disabled, instead of it going to them directly, it goes into this trust that doesn't count for Medicaid, and it also avoids guardianship. It should be noted that even if you don't have that, and, and most wills are probably have simple wills, they don't have that type of provision. Although we have in, in every one of our, just about every 99% of our wills have a contingent disability trust. Uh, because we cannot dictate whether somebody will be disabled in the future, and we want to avoid guardianship, and we want to avoid a uh, loss of potential public benefits. But it should be mentioned, even if you didn't have that, that there is a way, by because under Texas law, that you could go to court to modify a trust, modify a will, excuse me, even after you die. Even after you die, you could go to court, because for either tax reasons or public benefits reasons, you could change somebody's will so that they don't lose that potential public benefits. So we're probably over halfway there already. So, so there's lots of different ways that you could avoid uh, the state, excuse me, guardianship uh, by having different types of trust, and there are other trusts. So uh, sometimes you could have what's called a special needs trust. So if you are under 65, uh, either you, if you have mental capacity or a court or a guardian or a parent or grandparent can establish a trust for you where you don't lose the uh, uh, these assets for accounting for Medicaid purposes. Uh, so you can create your own special needs trust based on federal law, and it also avoids guardianship. Hmm. That's very interesting. Let me stop you right there, Michael, and that's so many already, about uh, halfway to go before the end of the program, but... I almost want to. I make uh, fun at the beginning of most programs and and say uh, some kind of initial that represents you in terms of your character, your expertise, or other. And I want to say, A.G. Michael Attorney uh, Michael Cohen, in the sense that you're almost like an attorney general 
with someone who, who basically has top legal authority of a state or a territory. But in this case, of course, you're not an attorney general, but you are someone who specializes in another AG, which is avoiding guardianship. That is something that you have just learned over the decades, and it's very critical whether people realize it or not, whether they've thought about it or not. And as you said at the beginning of the program, it's very important because when it comes to estate planning, as you said, what they think about is death. They don't think about when they're alive and disability and laws and taxes that affect them, whether it be state laws or federal laws. So I really appreciate this education so far. And for the audience, they too need to further their education and attend your next workshop, which is at 1 o'clock on Thursday, August the 27th. And then when I say attend, I mean online, I mean virtually, where you go to a almost a video conference session of the workshop instead of in person because of the COVID virus. And Michael, tell us all about those workshops. Yeah, we first of all, it's really simple, and we make we give even we make it so simple. We have somebody that tells you exactly what to do. So don't worry about the technology. Um, it's really very very simple. It's just clicking on a button, and that's all you'll have to do. And and it's really very 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 simple. And so uh, to attend at that workshop, what we do is we say, what do you want to know? It doesn't be. It doesn't have to be. Uh, what do you know? Want to know more about avoidance of guardianship? It could be something about wills. Or it could be something about trust. It could be something about Medicaid benefits. It could be something about veterans benefits. It could be any number of different things. We've talked about powers of attorney today. It could be about different ways to set up accounts. It could be anything that you want to talk about. And what we do is we say, what do you want to know? And so every workshop is different because we don't know what questions that people are going to ask. And then within that two-hour time frame from one to three, we're going to answer all the questions we think that we're going to get. And so we go through those answers, and even even if you didn't uh, answer all the questions, uh, we do give those people who go to that free estate planning essentials workshop uh, also a free vision meeting, what we call a vision meeting, where we go over your own individual situation to see that your needs are being met. Uh, and, of course, that's without obligation, too. So you basically get three free hours of education without obligation. All you have to do to go to that free estate planning essentials workshop is call 214-720-0102. That's 214-720-0102. Or sign up online at DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com. I think you'll find it fun, too. Uh, We always say that you'll uh, have some fun along the way. We usually joke around and try to use some examples to make it not just legalese like we're talking today, but kind of put it in some real-life situations with, you know, some fictional characters or whatever to make it easier for you to understand. Uh, I know here today we've been kind of been rattling down different options, and it's a lot of information but because we had limited time. But at the workshop, we kind of make it simpler, simpler, uh, boil it down to less legalese and more, uh, everyday life type situations so that it's easy for you to understand on how you could be adversely affected and what you could do to prevent that uh, bad thing from occurring by just doing a little planning to protect you and your loved ones if you are, in this case, disabled, but it could also be if you pass or whatever. So uh, hopefully you'll attend that next free Estate Planning Essentials Workshop by calling that 214 720 
0102 telephone number. The beauty of this, too, is that when Michael has these workshops, not only are they interactive, unlike seminars where you're, you're just um, educated and you don't really get to ask questions, um, you get to ask Michael things um, about your individual circumstances, um, and he doesn't know what you're going to ask him. And it demonstrates his expertise and his excellence when it comes to estate planning and government assistance. So he doesn't read like he doesn't read during these programs. It's all straight from his head, basically. And so will his answers be at the workshop. So you'll see for yourself how exceptional, in my opinion, and eventually your opinion, Michael is. All right, Michael, we've got about the seven, eight more minutes for the remaining guardianship issues. Okay. Well, besides the special needs trust, let's say you, um, um, you know, a lot of times people have, oh, you know, either a lot, sometimes people have family members who are a trustee, and let's say you don't have anybody, um, or it's just a limited amount. Sometimes people have what's called, enter into what's called a pool trust. A pool trust is like a big special needs trust, but you have professional management. So, uh, there are several different pool trust companies in the state, um, most notably ARC of Texas. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, you basically put your money into this basically big special needs trust, and there's all these other thousands of disabled Texans that put their funds into the trust, and then the big company, the big bank, uh, does the investing and takes care of different things for you. Oh. determines, though, when you make the distrib- when the distributions are for your need as long as it doesn't jeopardize the public benefits. Okay. But even if you didn't have that, there are sometimes there's other things like um, the courts. If you didn't have anybody, and or maybe let's say you were under 65 and you became disabled um, and you couldn't create the special needs trust, then you there are different types of court-ordered trust. There's one, some for minors and there's some for uh, those who are not are, are just incapacitated. They don't have guardians. So there's kind of guardianship management trust, uh, or there's a another type of trust if somebody's a minor and when they can have the ability to get their funds at a certain age if they didn't have, let's say, a parent or natural guardian. Uh, so there's lots of dip, there are different court order trusts that you could have as well. Uh, in, in addition to the, uh, there's a couple different types. I don't want to get into the details, but there's one's called a 1301. A management trust and what's called a 142 trust. Those are the, the sections of different codes that we use uh, for creation of those different types of trust. Let's say okay. you're married uh, and you um, also, but you didn't really want to have, uh, and, and, and it's all community property. Of course, Texas is a community property state. If you're married, you could have it to avoid guardianship. There's another thing called community administration. So you could deal with all the community property, uh, both not only your share, but the a disabled spouse's share. Uh, this also has, it's less restrictive than the, uh, you can be independent of the uh, court for that supervision, for the paying of the bills and for uh, paying of, um, uh, or, you know, selling something or et cetera. So now you, the, the spouse who's well would have the ability by be appointing, just by proving that the uh, ill spouse is disabled, that they can have community administration at least during the time of disability. There are sometimes, even on the minors, where you can even have just put funds into the registry of the court, where you can have up to $100,000 by just setting up an account. Age. Uh, of course, they have fees, 
but there are some different uh, abilities just to create a um, uh, to put things into a court registry to deal with the assets as well. Uh, in addition to that, uh, sometimes we talk about minors. Uh, you, you may have heard of the Uniform Transfers to Minors Act. Uh, so if you're under age, sometimes you could put funds into where there's just a custodian where you could, and there's not really that limit, uh, you could put it into a Uniform Transfers to Minors account until they just reach age of majority. Uh, so that's another way, as well as uh, sometimes if you're a minor, uh, you know, let's say that the age of majority was 18, uh, sometimes uh, children could be emancipated. So if you're 17, you could try and let's say you didn't have a guardian, or maybe even if you did, sometimes you want to be, the 17-year-old wants to be emancipated by going to court to say that there should be a, a, a uh uh, a no longer considered a minor, and that see when you're a minor, uh, you're considered to be have lack capacity, so you can't enter into a contract uh, or anything like that. Uh, that's where you kind of, you know. So that's why it's important. Uh, you know, I said at the very beginning about uh, having the child to be able to do different things for you. I mean, to do things for the child. So that's why a power of attorney really. Uh, is one of the better things to do uh, because everybody, no matter how small of an estate, if you wanted to enter into a contract, let's say it was a lease of some sort, um, if you're um, and, and you lost mental capacity or maybe enter into some sort of contract or maybe apply for some sort of public benefit, where is there the authority? Where is the authority? Well, a power of attorney would give that ability for somebody else to act on your behalf. So everybody probably, even if you have, you know, my daughter just, you know, going to school, she doesn't have anything. So she, um, uh, but, but nonetheless, I had her sign all the basic documents, power of attorney, medical power of attorney, living will, HIPAA, all the different types of things that we would probably discuss at a workshop uh, by, uh, that are things that happen in life and I know we probably won't have time to go over what those documents are today, but if you do go to the free estate planning essentials workshop by calling that 214-720-0102 number or uh, signing up online at DallasElderLawyer.com, then that's something that you can learn about as well. So I think that, you know, we've talked about a lot of different things in this uh, show, ranging from community administration, to powers of attorney, to creating your own trust, to having trust within your will, uh, to having things in the court registry, uh, the court order uh, trust. There's just so many different options that people want to do because you really don't want to have to go to court. We really don't want to have the mother, may I, the court, may I, to be able to sell your property, to have the different attorneys involved. I think a little bit of planning goes a long way, uh, you know, so... Uh, you know, I think that that's something that everybody should consider because as we get out, as we get older, the older we are, the more, like, more likelihood of disability, and that's something we want to make it easy for our family to avoid those type of situations. Let's make it easier for them to be in control or whoever it is that you trust, and that could be remedied by some simple procedures that we've talked about here today. And that's the word. Took it right out of my mouth. Our goal is to avoid getting sick. Our goal is to avoid paying as much taxes as we have to. 
Our goal is to avoid guardianship. Our goal is to avoid court supervision. Those last two things is what Michael specializes in, and it's part of the reason why you should attend his next workshop. Dial 214-720-0102, or you can go to DallasElderLawyer.com, DallasElderLawyer.com. Michael Cohen, thank you, sir. Thank you, Doc. A leading estate planner practicing law in Dallas, Texas for decades now, Michael Cohen is ready to educate you about the estate planning laws that can affect your family and you. The first step is to attend his next workshop by going to his website, which is DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com to sign up for that free estate planning essentials workshop. Or you can also call him by dialing 214 214- That's 214-720-0102. A talk show host on 770 KAAM for six years, Michael Cohen is the person you want to evaluate and complete what could currently be a deficient estate plan. Make sure it is done your way and sign up for his next workshop today 